Previously on Winglings, I trained M how to wield pixie magic. I taught her how to use a quail quill to write spells. M practiced, and it wasn't pretty. She turned me into some really weird stuff, but it was obvious she was powerful. M wanted a Zaxlin sword of her own, and my Zaxlin Gabriel said he knew where to find one. And now for episode four, The Forger. The Purple Rocket Podcast presents Winglings and the Fairy Kings. Dark, vivid dreams of my friend Tim made me toss and turn through the night. Dressed in his black, spiked armor, I watched him terrorize a village of trollings. I could feel the heat of the fires, hear the clashing of swords. It was as if I was there, witnessing the majesty of the toad's dark, pixie power. Everywhere his shadow blade pointed, trees died and crumbled, homes burst into smoke and flames. I awoke with a start, my heart pounding. Touching my chest, I calmed the flustered pixie swirling inside me. Never had I been so happy to see the light of a sunrise. Its welcome warmth penetrated the teepee's invisible canvas. M had been awake for hours. She'd always been an early riser. It had been annoying to wake up to her banging around the house back at the willow tree, rummaging through drawers and making a racket in the kitchen, and it was just as annoying now, listening to the clanking of pots as she cooked breakfast. But lie, did it smell good. Mmm, those honey cakes, I said, stepping out of the teepee and stretching my wings. Em flipped the big hot cakes in the pan that she held over a little pixie fire burning in a pit of sand. They are, she said, but you don't get any until you wash up in the river. You stink to high pixie, and I had to smell you all night in that tent. I sniffed myself. <laughs> she was right. I smelled like a ripe stink blossom. I wasn't used to traveling with someone, so I'd never given much thought to my hygiene while I was out and about. Groaning, I shuffled over to the river and washed myself. It was a beautiful morning. Cattails swayed in the breeze, and the sun was just lighting the tops of the cliffs above. I dried myself and headed back to the camp, where M sat on a blanket waiting for me. There were two plates of hotcakes waiting, set neatly with a pile of colorful berries and a sprig of mint. I can get used to this, I said, rubbing my hands together and sitting cross-legged across from M. M folded her arms. I knew you'd say something like that. It's your turn to cook tomorrow morning, and I expect it to look just as pretty. Em <laughs> pointed at me. Just as pretty. All right, all right. 
I went to grab one of the hotcakes, but she swatted my hand. Ouch! What was that for? Don't just grab at your food. Ma taught you better than that. We must thank Mother Moon. Go on. I shook my head. You do it. M gave me a stern look and sighed before saying it herself. <sighs> Mother Moon, thank you for this wonderful meal that I worked so hard to prepare and that Will now gets to enjoy. Bless it that it may fill us with the light of life as we set out on this lovely day. Watch over us, help us if we need it, light. Light, I grumbled. I dug into the warm honey cakes and savored their sweet pillowy texture. Garbers, they were good. How she managed to make these all the way out here. Mmm, I took another bite. So you don't speak to Mother Moon anymore? Em asked, taking a bite of her berries. I shot her a look. Can you blame me? I put all my trust in Mother Moon only to find out I was following the voice of the Dark One. I'd say that's reason enough for keeping my distance, wouldn't you? The Dark always tries to masquerade as the Light will. It is unfortunate what happened to you, but the real Mother Moon came through in the end, did she not? You were victorious. I shook my head. Mother Moon coming through. I scoffed. Hardly. Seems the more I muttered her name, the more problems came my way. No... I have no need for a mother moon. I've been doing just fine on my own. I don't believe in her. Em gasped. Watch that fairy tongue, Will. You'll get us both turned to pixie dust with talk like that. She's as real as the light within us. She doesn't block all problems from our lives because struggle is growth. That's when we show our true wings. You're looking for her in all the wrong places. Search your feelings, and she'll reveal herself soon enough. Thanks for breakfast, I said, changing the subject. It's been a long time since I've had Ma's honey cakes. These are just as good, maybe better. Em smiled. Anything tastes better when you're hungry in the wilderness. Eat up. I'm anxious to meet my Saxlin. I had a hard time falling asleep last night. <sighs> I kept thinking of names for her. I was thinking Lillaby, Deedle, or Smooky. I raised an eyebrow at her. First of all, it might not be a her. I'd brace yourself for a grouchy old soul of a sword, so you're not disappointed. Lucky for your Zaxlin, it'll already have a name. I'd be careful calling it things like Smooky, Pooky, Deedle, Weedle, or whatever you were thinking of calling it. Zaxlins don't like nicknames. I once called Gabriel Gabe and he about chopped my hair off. Em gazed off, lost in pleasant thoughts. Oh, we'll be great friends. Oh, I can't wait to meet her. Her wings fluttered excitedly. We packed up camp and followed Gabriel's directions, up over the cliff and back into the trees. It'd been a long time since I'd last visited the Tulip Clan. I wasn't exactly excited to go back after what happened last time. M, on the other hand, who was getting more and more excited with every wing flap, sensed my reluctance. What's wrong? Aren't you excited for me? She asked as we flew into the trees. Have you ever met a tulip fairy? I haven't. Oh, I can't wait. I get to meet the tulips and get a Zaxlin on the same day. 
Cool your pixie. This might not be as joyous as you're imagining. Let me do the talking. I'll be lucky to get two whole words in during our visit. I set my hand on Gabriel's handle. Head northeast once you reach that mossy boulder up ahead, Gabriel said. I followed his instructions, turning and weaving through the trees with M close behind. I caught her practicing wielding an invisible sword out of the corner of my eye. Hurrah! Take that, you wretched hartle! Feel the wrath of Smooky! I shook my head and flew on. Moss and ivy grew thick in this part of the enchanted forest, winding its way up trunks and covering the lush ground with blankets of green. It all looked familiar, and yet there was something missing. Oh, there it was. Oh, Will, you had to do it while I was downwind from you. It's not me, it's the swamps. It's a smell you never forget. We're almost there. I led the way, flying over the dark, murky ponds that smelled like rotten mushrooms. Enormous bald cypress trees rose up from the water's edge, their roots winding in and out of the soft green ground. Some of the roots gnarled up into strange shapes like cages, spirals, or hearts. Many of them twisted together to form thick braided arches for us to fly under. Fog floated over the water and occasionally flickered with the warm glow of fireflies. Despite it being midday, the cypress canopies blotted out enough light to confuse the poor creatures. The air grew noticeably more humid, my wings grew sticky, and my long hair stuck to the back of my neck. We flew through a hole in an especially large cypress trunk and arrived at our destination. The Tulip Kingdom, I announced, landing on a route. Em fluttered down next to me. It's wondrous! I've never seen anything like it! It was beautiful, possibly even prettier than I remembered it. Hundreds of twig homes floated on lily pads that drifted across a serene pond. Pixie lanterns hung from stick posts leading the way to their front doors. I could see movement behind the round windows. The tulip fairies were up and about. Giant bald cypress trees surrounded the pond like guardians, and at their base, thousands of tulip flowers showed off their brightest colors. Purple, orange, yellow, and white. On the far end of the pond, floating on a log, was the tulip palace. Moss and glowing mushrooms covered its tall bark walls and towers. Fireflies danced around the pebbled roof and perched themselves on the arched windowsills. I was glad to see that unlike the Fruit Fairy Kingdom, things here were very much alive. Tulips were still growing out of everything. The blue, orange, red, and pink flowers sprouted up out of lily pads, logs, and tree roots. Every so often, fireflies would dip down into them, making their petals shine their brilliant color. I could tell by the lackluster banners and pixie string lights in the branches that the tulips were behind in their preparations for the Festival of Light. Even the party rafts lined up along the shore were half-built and barely painted. I flew over the pond with M by my side. The silver-haired fairies poked their heads out as soon as they heard our voices. I could hear them chatting away as they normally do. It was a constant hum of voices. Light knows how they summon enough energy to form so many words in a day. 
Most of them had emerged from their twig homes to see us for themselves. It's Will, I heard one of them say. Willem Wingling of the Daffodils, gasped another. We passed the lily pad where an old beggar held an acorn cap out for donations. He couldn't speak and instead threw a spell onto the twig house behind him. Glittering Pixie spelled the words, Help, please. It was an impressive attention grabber, but I was in too big a hurry to help. Em practically bent her wings screeching to a halt. Then she reached into a pack and dropped some of our leftover honey cakes into the man's acorn cap. The old fairy smiled his nearly toothless smile and blew her a kiss. As she flew off, he cast a spell on the wall that said, Thank you. We're in a bit of a hurry, you know, I told her when she finally caught up. A fairy's never too rushed to lend a hand, Em said, jabbing me in the ribs. We landed on the lily pad closest to the palace, where a tulip woman was washing a blue dress in the pond. Colorful rainbow fish swam just under the surface. The woman stroked them as she washed her clothes. Her black hair was tied up in a bun that wrapped around a blue tulip flower. She had been singing to herself, but sprang back when we landed. Oh dear, you but made me burst with fright. How can I... Oh dear, oh dear, oh dear, King Willem, oh, what a surprise. I hadn't heard you'd be visiting. Are you hungry? Do you need a place to stay? Who's the lovely lady? Is this the missus? How do you do, ma'am? The honor is mine. I love your dress. Did you make it yourself? We have a divine dressmaker on that pad over... Please stop, I tried to say politely. The woman was talking so fast that my mind was starting to spin. Luckily, she didn't look offended in the slightest, as it was expected to be interrupted when conversing with the tulip. Sorry, I added. We're looking for... I touched my hand again to Gabriel's handle, and his voice said, Femrir Nightcast. Femrir Nightcast, I repeated. The forger... The forger? The woman scrunched her round, rosy face. Don't know what you mean by forger, but we do have a Fenrir. I must warn you, he's a peculiar fellow. He lives in the house over there at the base of that tree. What do you want him for? Don't you want to speak with the Tulip Queen? Even if you did, you couldn't. She's away on official business. They say she's seeking the help of the Pixie Knots. The dark is upon us, you know. Black bee hives popping up left and right. Luna fires getting closer every night. It's all our gods can do to keep them at bay. Some say that entire clans are joining the dark. You can feel the shadow in the air. Oh, stop, please. I, I, I can't. I tried to gather my thoughts. <laughs> Wait, what was that you said about the clans joining the dark? The woman took a deep breath in preparation for another verbal outpouring. Word in the wind is there are entire clans who have pledged their allegiance to the dark and have joined the minion army. I know of no treaties or official alliances, just abrupt blasphemous abandonment of the light and all its warmth. When I was a child, I used to fly into the tunnels. That'll do. Thank you, I said, cutting her off before she could give me her life story. Oh, very well. Em and I flew the way the woman had pointed and found ourselves in the quietest part of the pond. The lily pads were a distant twinkle on the water. There was an A-frame hut built into the base of an enormous cypress tree. 
A zing of excitement shot through me when I saw that the little structure itself was built entirely of weapons. Swords, spears, axes, shields, and arrows all bunched together to form the triangle structure. A little pixie lantern hung above a tall door made of spears. I flew over, grabbed the mace knocker, pulled it back, and let it bang against the door. A moment later, it opened. My eyes widened. Standing in the doorway was a man who looked identical to the beggar we'd just seen a moment ago. He was either the man's twin or the man himself, having flown home while we were stuck talking to the chatterbox. Um... I was at a loss for words. The beggar, with his few wispy hairs, his tattered blue clothes and shriveled double wings, stood there with his arms folded, glaring at me. He thrust out his arm and cast a spell on the outside wall next to the door. Well, look who it is, was spelled in glittering pixie. I swallowed. Garbers. Then the wrinkle of a fairy turned to my sister and beamed with his two-toothed smile. He gave her a big hug. Oh! Emerald giggled in surprise. You must be Femrir Nightcast. I'm glad you have a home. Femrir nodded and waved her into the house. The door shut on my face as I went to follow. Hey, guys! I pushed on the door. You left me out! I could hear a spell cast, and the door flew open, making me tumble into the house and roll across the floor. Ouch! I looked up to see Femrir giving me the stink eye and Emerald smiling. Did you need a hand? Em said jokingly. Ha ha! I hopped up. The inside of the hut was lit by a large spiraling pixie chandelier in the middle of the room. It was made entirely of bejeweled daggers that sparkled. The walls inside were also made up of weapons, streaks of brass and silver from the intricately designed swords, spears, and shields. Femrir cleared his throat to draw my attention back to him. <clears throat> right, I said. Femrir Nightcast, I am Willem Wingling, King of the Daffodils. We are here seeking a Zaxlan for my sister Emerald. Femrir wouldn't look at me. Instead, he pretended to be distracted by the chandelier. I felt my Zaxlan shake at my side. I touched Gabriel's handle, and immediately his angry voice filled my mind. Denying the great forger a token of kindness was the most simple test in all of fairydom. You're not helping, I grumbled down to him. You're not listening. I was shaking at your side when we passed by him, but you deliberately ignored me. Let me speak to him. What? I thought you could only speak to me. The man is a forger of steel and soul. Of course I can speak to him. Hold me out. With a sigh, I unsheathed Gabriel and held his handle out towards the old crotchety fairy. Raising an eyebrow, Femrir grabbed hold of it and closed his eyes. There was a long silence. I looked at M and she shrugged at me. A minute later, the man's eyes opened and he handed the sword back to me. What did you say? 
I whispered to Gabriel as I sheathed them. Only that you're a nincompoop and that I was sorry for your lapse in judgment. It took you that long to say that? I had a lot to get off my blade. Clearly. I looked up at Femrir. Sorry for not helping you earlier. Femrir's expression remained sour. He threw a spell on the wall that said, A Zaxlan bear must be true in heart and always ready to serve. You're right. I'll do better next time. Femrir's frown deepened until he turned back to M, which seemed to brighten him right up. He threw a spell. What can I do for you, most lovely emerald? I rolled my eyes after reading it. Emerald curtsied like a doofus. You're too kind, sir. I'm here in search of a Zaxlin. I'm training to wield Pixie, and I find it only natural to take upon myself the responsibility of the ancient weapon. Femrir smiled some more and threw up the words, A responsibility it is, my dear. With every wave of the hand, a new glittering sentence appeared on the weapon-clad walls. Zaxlins are the most ancient species of weapon in all the land. Most of the weapons I forge here. He pointed to a pit in the floor towards the back of the room next to a chest of blacksmith tools. They are nothing but cold metal, but a Zaxlin is alive. They are forged with unbreakable steel and infused with a soul. Most Zaxlins were originally created by entire clans and have been reforged with the steel of their forefathers, carrying with it the wisdom and skill of their predecessors. You must heed the counsel of your Zaxlin, unlike your flea-brained brother here. Hey, I can read, you know! M nodded to Femrir. I understand. If I may, where do the souls come from? Femrir waved words in large splatterings of pixie. They are the souls of the bravest fairy royalty of the past. They are the kings and queens who shaped our world. They have devoted their entire existence to serving their kind, even long after they have passed. It is not uncommon to be paired with a Zaxlin whose soul once belonged to your very clan. They may even be a distant ancestor. The voice you hear is not merely a memory of them, but an imprint of their living pixie. I have heard of Zaxlin's souls abandoning their steel form when a pledge is broken, when they deem their companion to be unworthy of their assistance. Femrir shot me another ghastly frown. Which is why, he waved the words into being as if dramatically conducting a fairy choir, you must honor your Zaxlin's pledge and promise to only use it to serve your fellow fairy. Do you agree to these terms? M was bouncing on her heels as she read. I do, she said, letting out a jittery breath of excitement. Femrir nodded solemnly and then walked over to the pit towards the back of the room. Putting on thick boba-leaved gloves, he held out his hands and conjured a pixie fire. The fire swirled hot and bright before us. It started small, no bigger than a cooking fire, but then grew and grew as the old forger waved his arms over it. Spells splashed upon the walls, words and symbols far too old for me to recognize. 
Their pixie dissolved off the walls like vanishing stardust and then spun into the growing fire. Brighter and hotter it burned. White flames whipped and lashed, reaching up towards the high ceiling. Em and I stepped back, retreating from the intense heat of the fire. Femrir reached into a nearby chest and pulled out an old block of steel that shimmered with pixie. He threw it into the fire and the flames flashed blue. Femrir's silent spells were growing longer. Entire walls now splashed with symbols and words. They appeared and disappeared faster now. I could hardly look at Femrir, his old form almost completely blotted out by the blinding light in the room. I squinted through the light and saw him clap his hands high over his head, filling the whole room with spells. And then, whoosh! His hands dropped and the flame shrunk back down to normal size. Only now it flickered a beautiful red. Femrir wiped the sweat from his brow and then, to our horror, reached into the fire. No! What are you doing? Em and I shouted. Femrir calmly pulled his hand from the fire and in its grasp was a beautiful Zaxlin. It was impossibly long, as long as Emerald at least. Mesmerized, Em walked over to it. I almost shouted for her to wait before touching it. Its blade and handle still glowed hot. And yet, it had no effect on her as she carefully took it. The moment she held it, the sword bent and then broke. Em gasped and jumped back. We all watched as the other half lying upon the floor stretched and formed into another sword. Em picked it up. The two Zaxlins were identical. Short and curved, their handles red with gold designs weaving through them. Femrir was overcome with emotion. He laughed through his tears and threw a spell on the wall which read, Sister Blades. I too felt overcome with emotion. I could feel the sudden surge of pixie in the room and it filled me with joy. The only other feeling that compared was when I saw my baby sister bloom in her flower. Emerald looked just as radiant as she had that day. Holding the blades at her sides, Em closed her eyes and listened to the voices in her mind. I basked in the pixie while she whispered to herself. I remembered the first time I heard Gabriel's voice in my mind. I didn't need to hear the voices of Emerald Zaxlins to know they were there. Yes, Em said. I do. I accept your pledge. She opened her eyes and looked down at her Zaxlins. Gwyneth and Gila. Exhausted but smiling, Femrir waved more words onto the wall. They will serve you well. I know they will, Emerald said, and I will honor them by heeding their words. Femrir nodded. Thank you, Em said with a bow. Femrir waved another sentence. May the light shineth upon you. You as well, I said. Femrir scowled at me and threw another spell. I was talking to the girl. Of course you were, I mumbled. Either way, thank you. I looked at Em. Ready? Emerald wiped a tear from her porcelain face and nodded. Together, we left Femrir's home and followed the stream away to the Tulip Kingdom. We hadn't gone far when I started seeing big black balls dangling from the branches. 
I pulled out my blowpipe and shot one down. Poof! It landed at our feet. What is that? M said, circling it. It smells putrid. I stepped closer to the strange ball. It was twice my size and covered in holes. Unsheathing Gabriel, I sliced it open. Black wax oozed out of it. Black bees, I said, wiping the wax off my blade. So close, Emerald backed away from it. But if these are all empty, where are they now? A drum pounded in the distance. It was faint, but powerful enough for me to feel it in my toes. Slowly, I turned and looked back the way we came. There were now flickering orange lights reflecting off the cypress trees around the pond. Emerald looked between me and the sound. Will, what is it? Follow me and stay out of sight. Will? Before she could protest, I was off, flying back through the trees toward the Tulip Kingdom. Em followed just behind. We reached the ring of trees around the pond and hid in the shadows of a root, and then peeked out over it. Luna swarmed in circles over the pond, carried by their powerful bat wings behind their heads. Their toad-skinned bodies were illuminated by several tulip homes they'd set on fire below. Some of them stood on the tulip hut rooftops and pounded their drums. The poor tulip fairies fled their homes and jumped into the water. The few armored guards protecting the tulip kingdom had tried to intervene, but they were vastly outnumbered. Then came the hum. Like giant inky raindrops, black bees suddenly filled the air, their numbers blotting out all light from above. Down below, standing in front of the Tulip Palace, was an older female Luna with a pale, stern face. Long bat wings stretched out the back of her black and gray hair that fell down to her waist. She wore a tight black dress and black gloves. The chatty Tulip woman from earlier was bowed down in front of her, trembling with fright. Where is the stone? the old Luna hissed. I, I don't know, Your Majesty. We've never heard of this stone you speak of. Our, our queen may know, but she is away on official silence. Your queen is a fool, and you are all even bigger fools for following her. She's left you all here defenseless. Your Majesty, I thought, this must be the Luna Queen. I looked over the pond. The Luna army was tearing through the Tulip Village, throwing furniture out into the water. Helpless Tulip fairies sobbed outside. We will tear it all down if we have to, the Luna Queen growled. And we'll start with this. She pointed back at the palace. Burn it down. Lunas flew over with torches and threw them into the palace windows. Growing flames filled the rooms. Thick smoke poured out of the towers. The minions cheered and beat their drums. Are we just going to sit here and watch? Em whispered. We have to do something. Quiet. There are too many of them, and the queen is right. The tulips are defenseless. Where are the soldiers? Did the tulip queen take them with her? Maybe we can sneak in and get some of the fairies out before... Em! Em drew her saxlins and flew out from our hiding spot. Garbers! I drew Gabriel and flew after her. 
One of the Lunas saw Emeralds charge and flew for her. Nishna! Em shouted. Her water spell worked, sort of. A wave of water grew out of the pond but missed the Luna completely and instead curled over a tulip family and knocked them off their lily pad. The Luna breathed the gust of poisonous smoke. Emerald spun to dodge it. Slice! She cut the creature down with one of her zaxlins. It splashed into the water below. Poovery! Em aimed her next spell at another charging Luna. In a burst of sparks, it turned into a pudgy, squealing pig before toppling to the ground. Did you mean to do that? I called. Em spit the hair out of her face. Does it matter? Several more Lunas heard the squeal of the pig and flew for Emerald. Doop, doop, doop. My Lika darts whizzed past her and dropped a handful of them. They shrieked and splashed into the water below. A few black bees dove for Emerald, their dark stingers aimed. Em threw one of her sister blades and it stuck into the first bee and continued its push until two more were skewered on top of it. Em awkwardly blocked an attacking Luna with the other blade as it charged mid-air with its spear. I could tell her Zaxlin were doing most of the work. Her arm yanked around unnaturally, blocking, striking, swiping. Em struggled to move with it. Her body tossed to and fro. Come back, please! She shouted to the other blade. The sister blade obeyed, pulling herself free of the defeated bees and zipping back down to her. But there were already several more Lunas charging her from behind. I stabbed a charging bee and somersaulted, flinging its fat body at the Lunas, knocking them out of the way. I kicked off a Luna's chest and slashed as I spun, cutting down a few more bees and a Luna. They're arguing with each other, Emerald shouted over the chaos. My swords are bickering. They are sisters, I shouted back to her. I dropped a couple more Lunas with my blowpipe. Whoa! Wait! Emerald Zaxlins were flailing her arms all over the place. What are they? Oh boy! Her swords started clashing against each other, making it look like Em had stopped to frantically sharpen kitchen knives in the middle of our battle. Will! Uh, hold on! Four Lunas were pulling at each of my arms and legs. I aimed the blowpipe that was still in my mouth and shot the one off my right arm, swiped the one on my left with Gabriel, and then kicked my legs together, making the last two bonk heads and drop. Several more were already charging. Ignitus Gephora! I summoned some of the fire from below and blasted it in a wave of wind at my attackers. They turned to ash and blew away. You have to be firm, M! I shouted. Put some pixie behind your commands if you have to. A big fat Luna flew at Emerald with a spear. Enough! M said prying her fighting blades apart and bringing them down in an X, lopping off the Luna's wings. The fat creature blinked up at his wingless head and then crashed down into the burning hut below. Nice one, I yelled. Thanks. Em looked down at his Zaxlins, furious. Stop your bickering. Lunas and black bees swarmed the two of us like hungry vulture flies. I struggled to fight them off. I could feel the pixie draining from me with every spell I cast. There are too many of them, I cried. 
Use the smoke, you fools! I could hear the Lunar Queen screech. As ordered, all of the surrounding Lunars opened their big mouths and started breathing their poisonous smoke at us. <sighs> em and I coughed. My vision blurred. There was nowhere to go. We were surrounded. My wings slowed. Both of us fell to the ground in front of the burning palace and cackling Luna Queen. We found it, I could hear a voice shout. We have it, your majesty. Through the smoke curling around my head, I could see one of the Lunars flying back from the palace remains, holding a large black stone. The other Lunars cheered and beat their drums in celebration. The Luna Queen held it up for all her minions to see. I felt someone rummaging through my pack by my side. And then, there's more of them, a Luna hissed. The daffodils were carrying shadow stones. There was another boisterous cheer as the Luna Queen took my shadow stones and held up her treasure. The great toad will be pleased. Before everything went dark, my vision flashed to a place far off in the forest. I saw in my mind's eye Timothy Toad standing on a rock in front of an army of bowing dark fairies. He jolted and with a sinister croak announced, She found him! Okay, Rocketeers, I hope you liked that episode. I want to thank my mom, Roxanne Webb, for looking over that story, and Jeremy from HarmoniousIdeas.com for helping edit that audio. And I want to give a very special thank you to Una and Ozzy from Olympia, Washington, and Emmett and his dad, Matthew. Thank you guys so much for your support, for your kind words, for listening and telling your friends. You guys are awesome. True Rocketeers right there. I love it. I know Emmett was wondering if there'd be another season of Camp Dino. And so let me ask one of my friends. Dr. Rex, are we ever going to hear any more Camp Dino stories? Hi, Greg. Good question. I think it'd be right nice to hear some more Camp Dino. Maybe sometime next year, eh? Mm, I think the listeners would like that. That's what I like to hear. Thanks for listening, Rocketeers. Till next time. (laughs) Whoa, Dr. Rex, cool your muff. That's my line. Till next time, Rocketeers, this is your host, Greg Webb.